Do you like aliens, UFOs, cryptids, and the supernatural? What about self-defecating humor? Uh, actually, it's self-deprecating humor. Well, you may both be right. Alien Theorist Theorizing is a comedy podcast that examines cases like Roswell, Bigfoot, or the Atacama Alien. If any of these topics pique your interest, subscribe to Alien Theorist Theorizing free anywhere you find podcasts or go to alientheorists.com. Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, big fireworks coming out of Mar-a-Lago, tons to talk about in Trump world. What's going to happen as a result of this raid? Is he running? Will he announce? And what would another Trump term look like? Today, we have a special guest to discuss all of this, and the real threat, I think, to, to what a lot of Americans and Democrats and others aren't really as alarmed as they should be. Tom Edsel, guest columnist at the New York Times. I got to say right off the bat, someone who I've been reading for years. At times I was worried about if he called me on the phone and was asking me tough questions. But I think somebody really understands this moment in American politics better than most. We thought today would be a great day to have him on. Tom, welcome. Good to be with you, Joe. It's, uh, I've missed you. <laughs> missed you too, my friend. Alex, where do you want to start us off with? So uh, I want to get in, Tom, later to some of your most recent pieces in the Times. I think they're all increasingly relevant. But we're recording this right after Merrick Garland's press conference. It's Thursday afternoon by the time we're recording this. You'll probably hear it on a Friday, um, where he came out and said he personally approved the decision to get a search warrant for Mar-a-Lago, where we also just learned earlier today that uh, this all came about because Trump ignored a subpoena that happened in the spring. And I think in the last 20 minutes or so, we learned that the DOJ is asking the court to unseal the warrant so that Trump can't complain about whatever Gestapo tactics for whatever. No surprise there. Guys, first of all, want your reaction to this, how it's playing out, what is going on? Uh, in, well, me, if you want quickly, the this again is dividing uh, the Republicans and Democrats with independents leaning towards the Democrats on the legitimacy of this whole raid and search warrant procedure. Uh, it's, it's another case, but a really extreme case of the divide in America where it's really a vision of two Americas. And in Trump world, uh, this is seen as an assault of the uh, deep state or the big state, really a tyrannical big state, uh, preventing them from being, preventing Trump and his loyalists from uh, basically holding office. Whereas among Democrats, if anything, this may, there's been an argument that this should work to the advantage of the Trump people. I think in fact, that's not really accurate that this, search warrant really puts a glare and we'll see what they were actually searching for, but presumably it was more significant than just some minor classified documents. In that case, I think that it's going to start showing the potential dangers that Trump poses to democracy and may in fact uh, boost democratic participation. Democrats have been noticeably passive really in light of the kind of threat that Trump poses and 
they really need to uh, get juiced up on this. And they, as I say, I don't think they have been yet. And I think first abortion and now this may combine to really help, but that's, that's an optimistic and not necessarily guaranteed view. Uh, and have been saying for a couple of months that, that, that they keep doing the crazy and we, but we just got to keep doing the work. I'm pretty confident they'll keep doing the crazy, but you are seeing signs so that the people are getting energized. I think, Tom, you know, the last couple of special elections, Democrats have, in this literally last few weeks, you've seen a, a higher energy level and turnout uh, among Democrats uh, than you have among Republicans. But, you know, you're in your most recent piece, in the Times, you've been, you talked about the Mar-a-Lago raid and how polarized the view of it and everything is. And you, your piece was how we think about politics changes what we think about politics. And we'll, we'll put that in our show notes. It struck me that, again, exactly what you're saying, like they, you know, one side thinks they're saving democracy. The other, our side thinks we're saving democracy. I want to believe that there are enough sort of suburban women, younger Republicans, college educated, uh, and others that we're starting to see move away from that polarization and think maybe that just maybe they ought to move out of the ultra mega Republican Party. But what do you think at this point? Well, I'm not sure it's uh, a matter of persuasion. I think that people who are sort of you could describe as part of the MAGA uh, constituency are going to be very hard to move. The people who are critical in the election are the uh, those who don't turn out. Democrats have a real turnout problem in off year. 2002 is an off year election. Right. And uh, among both suburbanites and among uh, the sort of core minority voters. So that uh, something has to motivate them. In 2018, Trump was a powerful motivator. And the turnout then was quite big. And it was basically a Democratic wave election. Uh, what Democrats need is to do whatever they can to convert this from being a Republican wave election to at least a standoff where Democrats are pulled out of their homes to the ballot boxes and so far, abortion is doing a pretty good job of that. And I think the much more difficult thing is to persuade people that there is a real threat to democracy. And I think that is an argument that if it sank in, would be a powerful tool. But I, I don't think it has fully sunk in. Now, what would be interesting is what's in the uh, search warrant that was used uh, to justify the FBI raid, if that has material in there that really raises Trump abusing his powers, God knows what, trying to make money out of uh, secrets or trying to doing things, having secrets that are endanger the United States, whatever, that, that could help tilt things towards people getting more upset and more angry. It's a real uh, war of enthusiasm. And at this point, actually, Democrats are beginning beginning to gain. They got to keep that momentum going because inflation is really a problem for them. 
and the, the less, the more they can alleviate uh, inflation and inflate the, the threats of, of, a, of a conservatism that's going to rule their sex lives and a uh, anti-democratic administration, the more they can uh, get voters off their butts and down and cast votes. It's interesting, Tom, there's a, a tweet that I found pretty good. It was from Andrew Wartman, and he said, you know how guilty you have to be, this is about the warrant, for a federal judge that you appointed to sign off on a search warrant issued by an FBI director that you also appointed and executed by a DOJ attorney that you also appointed. So on the one hand, you've got Trump world spinning this as a political attack, but I mean, these are all Trump appointees signing off on all this stuff. It's not like this was Biden sitting in his basement trying to you know, mount the next attack. No, but I think in Trump world, uh, what they see is the deep state acting like a, uh, a people-eating plant, that if you work in the government, you're in danger of being swallowed up by the deep state. And they just see, they, they dismiss the kind of point you make as legitimate as it is. Once you get into a conspiracy mindset, there's very little that you can do to break the conspiracy mindset. And uh, it, anything becomes a reinforcement, any critic, criticism gets turned around into a reinforcement of the false belief. And uh, your points are well taken, and I think they are potentially strong for the less politically active, getting them increasingly knowledgeable. But the, but the committed people are very hard to turn around on both sides. And this is something I, I think that I really did want to talk to you about because I, you've written about it is how some how the the progressives and the Democrats actually can sometimes fuel this stuff by the way we respond to it. It actually kind of reinforces and energizes the ultra MAGA people more even more so than it does the progressive or pro democracy base. That's true. There's a number of things. One, if you call people racist. It just makes them angry and it does not reduce their, what you might call racial resentment. Many, they don't feel that they are racist. They feel they are making legitimate judgments about people and about groups. And to accuse them of being racist is not a, pers a, a persuasion tool. Uh, the same is true with uh, simply telling the people who believe that the election was stolen, that it's a big lie. It's, this is one that's really a, a, a tough one. It, conspiracy thinking and the people who study this, it's an intriguing process where once they become embedded in a conspiracy, literally all the sort of conspiracy denying facts become twisted and turned into conspiracy affirming that that fact becomes instead of being a, an externally true fact becomes a tool being used by their adversaries to dissuade dissuade them and it not it loses validity it's an intriguing political and psychological process that takes place uh, and it, it, it it's, has made politics extraordinarily difficult.
because people are not responding to truth in this case. In fact, they are using truth to reinforce lies, if that sounds possible. Well, I mean, to echo your point, I mean, the, the headlines on the really, really far right sites right now about the Merrick Garland press conference are things like Garland admits they got nothing in the raid, which is like the exact opposite of what happened in that press conference if you actually watched it. That's true. It's just extraordinary because Garland did not specify. He says he's now seeking to get permission to release the warrant and to, to quell public concerns by showing that it was legitimate. They take that as him saying, I've got nothing. Uh, and it, it, this process has gone on with increasing frequency. It was, it was occurring pre-Trump, but now it's become almost doctrinaire in the in the process. And yeah. uh, the more dangerous escalation is this uh, attack on the FBI office in Cincinnati that occurred, I think, earlier right. today, where uh, you're getting nutcases coming out believing these like pizza gate kind of thing where the danger of violence increases we have this very strange people say that we're at the same point or a similar point to where the country was before the civil war but the civil war was actually a substantive dispute over slavery over trade policies over agriculture versus manufacturing what we have now is this weird situation where the threat seems to be super high but the substance is over a lie and it's a really an incredible i mean it's just it's a, it's an unreality that that that's is characterizing american politics in a truly bizarre fashion tom let's get into your article from last week and, and why i wanted to, you know why i reached out to you sure. you said trump has big plans for 2025 and he doesn't care whether you think he'll win you said it's clear that no matter what anyone else thinks, Trump is getting busy. What does that look like in practice? And how does he use this raid and and sort of the, the you know play to the calls for violence and all this other stuff? Where do you see this all going right now from your perspective? Well, the interesting thing is when he ran in 2016, he had really no agenda except anti-immigration and sort of generalized anti-globalization and, and free trade. This time he has really with the help of some ad hoc think tanks, the Claremont Institute and an, an America First Institute here in Washington, where there are Trump loyalists have come up and they, they are some of the, they're, uh, they are not dumb people and they have come up with a real agenda for him. One of which is that he really wants to politicize uh, the civil service. Basically, from his point of view, he wants to uh, take on the deep state, but he would do so by eliminating civil service protections for basically all elite policymaking civil servants and turn those into political appointees. Uh, that's part of a, a larger plan. He, uh, he has a great deal of money. He's got over $100 million uh, in super PACs that he can't directly convert to a campaign, but they can be used in behalf of a candidacy. So he is very well positioned to run, much better positioned than 
any of his competitors in the Republican Party. And people don't realize that he has this armament already on board, ready to go. Uh, and with that armament, it's going to be very hard for him to decide to not run. It, it, he's, it's like he's got all of Fort Knox behind him, and he, uh, that, that makes it all the more tempting uh, to charge ahead. And I think with the raid, the pressure on him to announce a candidacy very quickly, a lot of people are saying now as soon as next month or even maybe the end of this month, but, it, uh, but maybe around Labor Day, what he wants to do is by announcing his presidency, that would enable him to claim that any indictment that occurred would be an indictment against a candidate for the nomination of the opposition party. That would further justify in his mind and in the mind of his supporters, the idea that this is a politicized investigation. Tom, you wrote that Trump has catalyzed racism, racial resentment, misogamy, white status decline, identity threats, economic anxiety, hatred of liberal elites, and rage at the globalization. And now the sincerity mix is at hand for any well willing politician to capitalize on. You called it. There's no shortage of takers. But Trump isn't going to walk away and let other candidates stir his to his toxic political brew. And of course, now he's moving strongly, I think, into the midterms. I mean, he's going to be a force out there in terms of he's not going away. He's going to be out there campaigning and stuff. How, how do you see this all affecting the midterms? Um, is it is it starting to to work against him and, and as you say, create the energy that we are hoping to see in the pro-democracy side of these things? Or, or will he be able to, in your view, you know, energize the, the ultra mega base in a way that he did in uh, in 2020, for example, it didn't uh, it showed down ballot, but didn't wasn't enough for him. But in some of these uh, races, where do you think the difference will be? I think Trump is basically taking a big risk in the 2022 elections. He has backed a bunch of people who, in normal circumstances, would be considered lemons. That is not uh, credible candidates in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona. And if the Democrats keep control of the Senate, because Trump-nominated candidates turn out to be losers, that's going to hurt him and his credibility. And he is, if he wins, if those candidates win, which looks difficult, especially in Pennsylvania now and even Georgia, uh, I think, but if they do win, he comes out way ahead. And I would say, though, that it's betting on a, uh, a 30 70 against kind of odds against him. And uh, I would rather be as a better uh, sitting in the Democrat seat than the Republican seat on that score. The, uh, the other area are, is, are all these Secretary of State candidates that he's endorsed that support the idea that the election was stolen. Can they survive in a purple state? That's a big question and we'll see. I think the, the midterms uh, 
are doubtful that they that Democrats are going to hold the House, but they, it, if they keep the Senate and keep Democratic losses in the House be, below twenty, say, or twenty or below, they, it's not going to be any great victory for the Republicans, and I'm not sure it helps Trump that much. How much it will hurt him? That's another question. It's um, the, the rest of the field is pretty terrified of him. And if you notice, they all came after the raid, all the prospective 2024 Republican candidates for president basically joined in in support of Trump and condemning uh, the Democrats and the Justice Department. So, I mean, that's the interesting question, though. So if some kind of, you know, actual shoe does drop in which, you know, it would be, you know, normally, and I hate to use that word normally, given where we're at, but, you know, that most people would say, well, that that's pretty confirming of, of what the facts are. It actually could just keep the polarization going. In other words, the, the Trump supporters in the Republican Party immediately lash out against the whatever those facts are, as another hoax or another deep state incursion into against Americans. But I still think there's a, you know, it's a small slice, may only be three, four, five, six percent of the electorate. Like I said, sort of these suburban Republican women that you see are, are bothered by uh, what's happened with the court with Roe v. Wade that could move. And, and I think we're starting to see signs that some of them are that could you know, change the equation and, and actually help Democrats win some seats in the Senate and maybe keep the House in that range you're talking about or even better. Do you see that as a possibility or you, or you just think it's so polarized that, that nothing really is going gonna, is gonna to move some of those people to move away from Trumpism and, and where the Republican Party, the authoritarianism that they, they seem to be moving in? I thought that the Kansas results were really very positive for Democrats. And the idea, particularly the suburban counties, some, some of which have been, are basically purple, turned out en masse and voted 60-40 <coughs> or better uh, against the idea that, of granting the state legislature full authority to do what they want on, on abortion, basically protecting abortion rights in the Constitution. The, this and the turnout was huge for an for an August primary election, so I, I think that on that front the Democrats have a lot to work with, and I think they know that, uh, and they are using that where they can, and a lot of the ads and so forth are now focusing on abortion. The question is, can they can they expand this idea of a intrusive kind of authoritarian state? beyond trying to control the behavior of women and their reproductive rights to include a much more complex but more pervasive threat of attempting to control elections, election outcomes, and to defy democratic outcomes. That, that has been harder to do but all this stuff that's going on now, I think with the, with the raid and the follow-up that's gonna occur and whatever may, may be, we don't know, may be in the warrants, uh, could all help expand this sense of a threat. People vote 
more from threats and anger than they do from love. And it's not a kumbaya kind of election system. The more people feel threatened, the more they vote. Trump capitalized on that fear, the threat mm -hmm. in 2016. He kept it up in 2020, this threat from liberalism. If liberals can turn the tables on that score and get their voters basically scared and threatened and angry, that combination that mix, uh, they they can do it. But it, that's it's still an ongoing process and it has not reached full potential yet. We'll see if it does. If it does, that could really change the ball game. You know, I've seen sort of what I would call a decoupling of. You know, what you normally see with the president's approval ratings being where Biden's are, you wouldn't see Fetterman uh, with a substantial lead in, in Pennsylvania, for example. You wouldn't see uh, even uh, Tim Ryan with a three or four or five point lead over uh, J.D. Vance. I mean, Arizona, Kelly, I think is, is now, I think in the last poll I saw almost a double digit lead there. All this with... Biden being, you know, in the in the 30s in his approval, which I think does speak to a decoupling. In other words, there is the, the ultra mega threat has to be registering in these races. Something other than a referendum on Joe Biden is happening, is I guess what I'm trying to say here, uh, which I've been saying for months. And I think one that, again, if you look at the, the Senate races, I don't think there's a Republican ahead in any of the, the seven races that are critical. Uh, they could be in dead heats and doesn't mean Democrats are going to win them, but there, there's no one ahead in any of them, despite where Biden is. And I think, too, at the House level, some of the nominees, you know, the QAnon cultists, et cetera, that they've nominated, a lot of voters, when they're asking these generic, you know, uh, questions, you know, they have a generic Republican, generic Democrat in their head. They're not picturing, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene as the, the nominee. I just get a sense that I think the January 6th committee, the nominees that we know about, like Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz and others, that they're defining this in a way that may, that is presenting a choice to the American people and not a referendum on Biden. And I just wanted to get your take on that, whether you're seeing that or or you think in the end it'll just be the, you know, the polarized, the general midterm election where the party in power gets crushed. I think you make a good point, and I hadn't really thought of it. There has been this contrary trend of the nationalization of elections, and it's been very hard for individual candidates to separate them from the from the national in this case down on biden kind of view uh, but it does seem to be taking place now with a lot of separation uh, as particularly in the senate races uh, and how much of that is because of the sort of fruitcake character of the republican nominees and the strength of the democratic nominees is not fully clear, but there is something different this time. And how sustainable that is to election day is another question that I don't have an answer to. Uh, Republicans are going to do everything they can to nationalize these, the election and to basically have the election on inflation and on uh, people tired of Biden. 
Democrats are going to have to counter that. We're, we're now just getting, we're in, a, in two, three weeks is when the real election starts and people start focusing their attention. So I think at this point, your, your argument is well taken. How, how sustainable it is, is going to be the big question going in, into uh, November uh, of this year. Uh, but I, I, it is an instant point, and I hadn't thought of it in those terms before. They were supposed to have this great, you know, redistricting year where they had control of all these legislatures and could redraw the lines. It certainly was a benefit to them, but nowhere near what, what we all thought in the beginning of the year, or at least what I thought in Cook Report and others thought. That didn't work out as well for them. And then, you know, in 2010, if you remember, we had that massive referendum on, on Obama and Democrats got wiped out. But in Delaware, in Missouri, in, uh, uh, I think it was Nevada, the I'm not a witch in Delaware, the Missouri the, uh, was the candidate running around saying there was such a thing as legitimate rape. There were the Tea Party candidates that literally lost them Senate seats because of how extreme they were. And one of the things I think that's happening is uh, in a midterm that makes it not, where it's not a referendum on the president, which it was with Obama, is when their candidates are too extreme, that supersedes the referendum on the president. And this year, I think they have nominated more people in the extreme than at any time uh, that I can think of. I don't know, you've been out there a long time like me, but in the 30, 40 years I've been doing this, I can't re recall uh, Senate and House candidates have been so far out there. What started making me think this was, again, yes, it was a referendum on Obama in 2010, but where they nominated extreme candidates and should have won those Senate, these are, the Missouri Senate seat was something they, they should have won, uh, Nevada too, they lost them. And now you look at, again, Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker in Arizona, and again, I think in the House, in these individual districts, we're going to see, I think we may see the same thing, just because of how the ultra MAGA have won a lot of these uh, these House nominations as well. This may end up being a choice election between the crazy and people who get it get things done versus the, you know, obviously the angst about inflation. And by the way, that looks like it, it may be turning hopefully over the next 90 days as well, although we've, we've been talking about that for months now, but we'll, we'll see what, it all depends on what, what people feel. It doesn't matter if, uh, uh, if inflation's going down, they don't feel it, uh, it they'll, they'll, there'll be a price to pay. I think there's actually uh, two more points that add to your argument. Uh, there, there are these sort of crazy candidates being put up that automatically make it problematic for the for the uh, Republicans. But in further enforcing this is one, the Supreme Court decision on Roe creates the idea of a Republican authoritarianism overruling the popular will. And then you combine that with Trump and his false claims to the election, you get a combined factor of bad candidates, a, uh, an unpopular Supreme Court decision on a very deeply felt controversial issue, and then a presidential candidate who is acting somewhat like a madman. And I think the burden and shifts from, in a way 
the normal thing is to be angry at the incumbent president for doing things you're not that happy with. But now you've got a collection of forces that on the other side, the non-incumbent side doing things to you that are unhappy, that you're not happy with, a lot of people are not happy with. So you, the, the idea of incumbency in a certain sense shifts and now the Republicans have the kind of, especially because of the Supreme Court, have a kind of power that is like the power of a political incumbent. And together those three forces could, could uh, really boost democratic prospects. But again, it's a could. We don't, there's no way to make any kind of prediction out of this with any real confidence, but it has that, it has the grist for the mill to do that. Well, I keep saying that uh, uh, if they keep doing the crazy and we keep doing the work, uh, we may actually surprise people in November 2022. But, but and the one thing I'm, I'm pretty confident of, I'm, more, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that they'll, they'll keep doing the crazy. The, the thing that, we, that you point out, we have to, to do the work, we have to turn out those voters, uh, particularly the voters that tend not to vote in midterms, uh, they would vote Democratic if they turned out because democracy, I think, is, is on the line in 2022. It's the work that me and other people are trying to do out there to make sure that we get those, those folks out. Uh, I think that's just about all the time we've got today. Hey, Tom, thanks so much for, for coming on. I've got to tell people that I uh, always had a, a lot of respect for uh, journalists and people who, who write about this. And, and I can't think of somebody I hold in higher esteem than, than Tom Etzel who throughout, I think, has been, particularly if you, if you don't follow his, his columns at the New York Times, you should. Uh, we'll put the last couple, a uh, few that he's, he's done in our, our show notes. Uh, I think they're important for you to, to read. He's always got insight that I look towards. Don't always agree, but, but usually do. And Tom, I, I can't thank you enough for being on with us and, and sharing your thoughts. And we'll keep uh, Tom's work in our show notes. We'll be back next week. And of course, please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question and review on iTunes. See you next time. Tom, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Joe. It's always good to talk to a guy with a sustained integrity. Thanks, man.